Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Groove, producing the show today and always. You want to know how my, my day started out? And, and it started out about 5 after 12 last evening. So, went to the Brewers game. Great game. Came back, and I'm sitting in the living room, and I've got something on the TV, and I'm, I'm working on my laptop computer trying to get the show ready for, for today. Now, tomorrow... Uh, Fran and I are leaving on a listener trip going to one of our, our river cruises. So that we're leaving early tomorrow morning. So the, the house got it. We were getting ready for, you know, the, the dog sitter and getting all those things packed and stuff like that. I wanted to pack, but my wife doesn't let me do that. I, I could offer suggestions as the clothes I would like to take, but she's ultimately the one that decides. So anyways, I'm sitting there. It's like five after 12 and I, I'm eating something healthy because that's all I eat nowadays. And all of a sudden I feel so something funny and i have sheared off a portion of my one of my teeth you know i've just i just chipped the tooth you know on something i was eating okay so it's now five after 12 on tuesday night tomorrow morning at nine thirty or something i'm leaving for 11 days in europe and i've got this i don't know this chunk of tooth out of my mouth and i'm looking at the filling that's in there thinking huh i don't think this filling is going to stay there very long so my dentist Apparently, who I've known for, he's been my dentist and my friend for like 40 years. I have I have his text number. So 5 after 12, I, I send him a text message saying, I really wouldn't do this, except I'm leaving for Europe, and I've just chipped this tooth, and I, I think, you know, it doesn't hurt now, but I'm afraid if we don't do something, it's going to hurt. And so I send him this text at 5 after 12, and 3 o'clock in the morning, I get another text back saying, well, I'm off. But I've got these two associates. You go into the office at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they'll see what they can do. Well, you know, so I'm, I'm there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it turns out that I, I ultimately need a crown. But they're saying, well, we're not going to put in a temporary crown when you're going to be out of the country for 10 days. So what we'll do is we'll patch this. This will probably hold, and you, you should be okay till you get back. But it's like, okay, well, I guess if you're going to have something like this happen, better to happen last night other than the fact that I woke my dentist up at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, better to have it happen last night than tonight or two or three nights later. But that's kind of how the day started. I was actually telling that to one of my friends who's going on this trip, and he says, well, I hope your day tomorrow goes better. I said, well, yeah, because you're going to be on a bus and a plane with me. You probably better hope it goes better. So that that's the start. I figure, okay, it's probably going to be nothing but up from here. Yeah, today is my last day for uh, a few days. Scott Warris is going to be filling in for me while we do this river cruise. All right, let us get started. It is a it's it's an extension of a story I mentioned briefly yesterday. And and now more details have emerged. Let me summarize this in seven words. It does not get worse than this. It does not get worse than this. This is the story of the murder Friday night of a 47-year-old woman named Tracy Smith, 
who, as it happens, you know, was employed. She worked for she was a sergeant for the Department of Corrections who worked at the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. Here is what happened. Friday evening, about five o'clock, she is teaching her son to drive. Okay, so this is her, I believe he's 16 years old, 16-year-old son. So mom and son are in the car. They are driving to Playmakers, which is a clothing store on Fond du Lac Avenue. So they're in the area of like 51st and Capitol. We're going to get to this in a, a moment. The son turning left onto Fond du Lac from North 51st Boulevard. What happens is a gold van cuts in front of him from the lane to his right. So you've got this guy driving the gold van that pulls, it kind of cuts off the, the kid, pulls in front of the car, collides with the front passenger corner of the car. So you got mom in the passenger seat, mom who's the, you know, the, the, prison guard, corrections officer, the son is driving, this guy tries to kind of cut him off, presumably to get in front of him or whatever, and, and hits the front of their car. Son stops the car in the intersection. The van stops. Mom gets out of the car to inspect the damage. At this point in time, the driver of the van, the guy that kind of like sideswiped the front of the car, he opens the van door and stands on the running board looking back. Um, the mom is apparently, from what I'm told, is saying, do you have insurance, etc." cetera. She's, she's kind of yelling at him. The guy says, and I quote, bitch, I'll kill you. At which point in time, he pulls out a gun and shoots the woman, essentially point-blank, in the chest. She says, he shot me, this is according to the criminal complaint, and falls to the street. All right, bitch, I'll kill you. And he does. He does over a fender bender. All right, so now the kid has just watched his mother be shot in the chest. He runs out. There's other bystanders around that run to help her. The shooter gets back in the car, does a U-turn, and heads south on 51st and then turns on to Capitol Drive. He's fleeing. The son um, drives his mother to the hospital where, you know, she, she's pronounced dead 30 minutes later. The, the mother murdered in front of the son by this guy that cuts them off. Then, according to the complaint, they had video from the area. They had the van's license plate. Um, the car was registered to him. The son picked him out of, you know, a lineup. Um, and so, you know, they were able to make an arrest. The alleged, you know, say alleged once and then I'm not going to repeat it, murderer was a guy named Matthew Wilkes. 35-year-old guy who has, no surprise about this, a criminal record as long as your arm. I don't know if it goes past to start, but if it occurred before 2001, but the way I read his criminal record, first felony, first felony, car theft back in 2001, 2008 convictions for cocaine and possession of a gun with intent to cocaine with intent to distribute and possess felon in possession of gun that was 2008 there have been other charges 
and apparently, I believe, convictions since then. But he's back out on on the street. And here you have this 47-year-old woman murdered in front of her son, 5 o'clock in the evening on 51st and Capitol, because, I don't know, she got out of the car to inspect the damage that this felon carrying a firearm had done to the car when he pulled in front of her kid. All right, so the obvious you know, answer first is, you know, um, again, th- this shows you how cheap life is, at least in some parts of, of the city of Milwaukee. I swear, if you ever remember the old movie Escape from New York, where, you know, you, you had, in that case, it was the island of Manhattan. And they just took all the criminals and they put them in the island of Manhattan, and then they built a big fence around that and, and, that's, and just let the criminals hang out. It's almost like you have certain parts of the city of Milwaukee that have become like that. Here's what I want to discuss with you, though. And, and again, I mean, there, there's all sorts of avenues you can talk about. The guy is a multiple felon. He's not legally allowed to have a firearm, but he's carrying a gun. Okay, so, I mean, again, I, I don't want this discussion to go into a gun control sort of thing, but there, there's laws that prevent this guy from carrying a firearm. It obviously didn't stop him, just like it didn't stop him when he was convicted of dealing drugs while carrying a firearm, you know, 10 years ago. So you, you've got the laws. The laws don't do a darn thing to discourage people like this from carrying firearms. So you, you've got that. Secondly, you've got a guy driving around, lengthy criminal record, with the impulse control of a fruit fly to the point that you're going to shoot somebody in the chest after you've cut them off because there has been a fender bender. I mean, seriously, that's what cost this woman her life because apparently she got out of the car and started to confront the guy who had cut off her kid, you know, and caused some damage to the car. And again, I'm told that she was saying, do you have insurance? And that got his response and he pulled out a gun and he shot her. But but here's the, the larger point beyond this. And, and I ask this seriously. Have we reached a point in some of our communities where you, you can never even stop your car after a collision because you don't know the type of person that you are going to be dealing with? This woman is dead because, heaven forbid, after the guy hit her, she got out of her car to inspect the damage. I mean, is this is this the lesson? Never get out of your car. If you're in an accident and you're even if you're not at fault and your car is drivable, do you drive to a police station? This was broad daylight in front of a ton of witnesses. And this woman was effectively executed after. I don't know, sounds like to me her vehicle was the victim of being sideswiped or cut off. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I was telling the story to a couple of my colleagues, and, and their response was, this is why we never, ever, ever, ever drive Capital Drive. It's a lot more inconvenient to go where we have to go, but we're not going down Capitol Drive because you never know when something like this is going to happen. If you have to travel some of these routes, is this the lesson? Just don't get out of your car. Stay where you are. Call 911. Hope the police come in a couple hours, or if your car can drive, drive to the nearest police station because, I don't know, you get out of your car and you end up dead. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if I sound aggravated by this conversation, it's because, well, I am. 
We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's start with John in West Dallas. John, good afternoon. Oh, yeah. Hi. Great show. Um, I, I I drive for a living, so I'm constantly on, you know, on the city streets, Milwaukee, downtown, south side, all that. And, yeah, you know, people are their driving habits are crazy, man. But, yeah, it's a great point. You know, once if there is a fender bender or crash, stay in your car. You know, if you have to call the police, call them, stay in the car. Well, um, I mean, you just look. I mean, this lady gets out to inspect the damage. And apparently, I think from what I'm being told, she, she started, she, and the way the newspaper describes it is a confrontation. She's, I, I'm told, she's trying to see if the guy has insurance. She's yelling at him. He yells back and then pulls out a yes. gun and shoots her. And <laughs> she's, well, she's a house of correction officer, so she probably wasn't the nicest person. Well, I don't um, know about that. I mean, I, she's, my she's, opinion, well, I, I guess. But no, no, no. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't buy that. That's, that's, she's, that wasn't my point. Now, my point is that, you know, as far as certain sections of uh, of the city maybe, you know, might be dangerous, maybe it's like all the mass shooters. Maybe it's a mental illness problem. Well, no, I just think, I mean, thanks. To, I mean, I, I think what it is is you, you have people out there who, now, now, this guy is obviously a dangerous criminal. I mean, like I say, this will be he, – he was a already convicted once of a felon in possession of a firearm, so he's still driving around with a gun. So we obviously the message hasn't gotten out to him that you're a felon, you're not legally allowed to have guns. But that's a small problem because it's not just possessing the gun, it's being willing to use it and to shoot a 47-year-old woman – in the chest over a fender bender. I mean, so it's not mental illness. It's the guy is a career criminal with no respect for life who's out there on the streets. And the problem is there's lots of people like this that are out there, and you never know when you're going to run into one of them, or in this case, when they're going to run into you. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. Uh, Every, uh, every other day, I warn my wife when she's out driving by herself, excuse me, <clears throat> do not, if someone bumps you or if someone you have an accident, do not get out of your car. Uh, it's either a hijack situation, it could be a hijack situation, yep. or someone's getting angry. Uh, uh, the shooting the other day uh, uh, of this lady, was, it was just horrific. But just just remember that uh, uh, this has happened before with that, uh, I think it was a three-year-old child. Yep who was shot uh, uh, with, with this type of incident, with, with a road rage incident. And so, so no, uh, it's a sad state of affairs, but it's, it, it, this is part of uh, Milwaukee today. Yeah. And so... Uh, uh, no, I think I, you're right. So you tell your wife, don't get out of the car. Do call not, me, call the 911, call yes. somebody, but don't get out of the car. Yep. Do not get out of the car, even if they kind of bump you, because, because that's, that's one of the, the MOs of, of individual hijacking. I tell friends who come to the city and visit. This, 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 it's, it's one of those things that you have to warn people about. If you get bumped or something like that, do not get out of your car. And, and uh, if somebody comes up to your car, and if your car moves, you get out of there quick. Right. If somebody jumps out of their car, you get out of there quick because uh, you just can't trust it anymore. Well, you and, and thanks for calling, Vince. And, and, you know, of course, what does that say? But that that that's... That is the reality. It's kind of this senseless stuff. Here's a text, Jeff. I live in the area. I was teaching my son to drive this weekend. I heard the story, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it hits so close to home. When I told my son, he was... He was shocked. Um, somebody else says, Jeff, even staying in a car, you know, you know, who has bulletproof 
glass. Um, yes, you, you've got, you know, that issue that's out there as well. Um, you know, here's the bottom line of all this. It's just, it's like the wild, wild west. Okay, Jeff, as an, I'm an Uber driver here. As a driver, Capital Drive is absolutely a no-no to me. I'm sorry, I will not pick up anybody in that area. Mark from Bristol text, Jeff, I was on the freeway attempting to change lanes with someone in my blind spot. I corrected back to my lane and was going to wave apologetically. As they passed by, the person went up and held a Glock-style pistol that they pointed at me. I now carry a three fifty seven Magnum cased on my pass passenger seat the city of milwaukee is becoming the wild wild west i don't know the only thing i disagree with that is it's not becoming the wild wild west it it is it is the wild wild west let's talk to mike on the northwest side mike you're on wtmj yeah good afternoon jeff hi mike uh just just kind of different you know uh there was a time when people would rear end you and uh they had another accomplice in the car and then you'd uh basically get out of your car to check it out and the other guy would go and steal your car right oh yeah but that, that that's still that's what vincent was talking about that's still one of the common you know modus operandi for carjacking you know you you get out of the car and then two people jump out and they point a gun at you and they take your car sure uh, i'm just saying you just gotta play the odds i guess i don't know or carry a gun and well, I, no i mean i think the i mean thanks for, i mean i think the answer is and thanks for calling i mean i look I, every case is different but you hear stories like this and and you just now, the truth is, many, many times what happens is they just drive off. I mean, that that's the thing. You have these hit and runs and people just drive off. But in situations where they stop, well, I don't know, maybe you're better off just staying in your car, calling 911, calling the police, or if the car is mobile, driving to the nearest police station and reporting it because th- this was 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Okay, so this is 51st and Capitol. We're, we're not talking about an isolated area at 11.30 or 2.30 in the morning. It's 51st and Capitol on Friday. Now, admittedly, it's Labor Day weekend, but there's still lots of cars and lots of traffic. And at least according to the allegations, this Matthew Wilkes thought nothing of getting out of his van after he cut off the car, pulling out a gun, and essentially executing this 47-year-old woman in front of her child. Now, he didn't know apparently know that it was in front of her child, I guess, but that doesn't matter. He shot her in the chest. All right, I bring this up for two reasons. Number one, it is a cautionary tale. If you have to drive in some of these dangerous areas of the city, just just be aware that, you know, there are people like Matthew Wilkes that are out on the street, more of them than you might know. Secondly, maybe it causes people to decide, I, I don't want to drive in some of these areas because I don't want to take my life in my own hands. Do I have an answer? No. I mean, people are saying publicize the name of the judge. I don't know. I mean, I... I the the last felony conviction I think the guy had was in 2008, and I didn't check to see how much time he did, but that's that's 10 or 11 years ago. Still not legally allowed to carry a firearm or anything like that. So, I mean, you can't warehouse people, but obviously the laws against preventing felons from carrying guns and things like that, you know, didn't discourage this guy, just like they don't discourage a lot of other people. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase this week is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, Wisconsin. Call Gina Della at Pella today. Okay, Gru, this is your opportunity to make me feel old. Do you know who Charlton Heston is? Yes. 
you do know who Charlton Heston is. Okay. Yeah. What's what would you say is his most? Fa- he's a movie actor. What would you say was his most famous movie? Uh, I would. Well. Um, <sighs> da da da. <laughs> you okay? Name me a Charlton Heston movie. Well, I was going to say Planet of the Apes, but uh, Ten Commandments. I would say. Yeah, good. Okay. Very good. Right. Charlton Heston. Um, he he played Moses in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that, that's that's a big role. He was Ben Hur in Ben Hur. That I would say that's probably the most successful. But you know, he played Moses in the Ten Commandments. He was Ben Hur in Ben Hur. Uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, the 1968 film. He was in Soylent Green, which is actually one of my sort of like hidden treasures. Did a lot of movies. So over the years, appeared in over a hundred movies. Passed away in he was in his 80s. Passed away in 2008. All right. Charlton Heston, though in addition to being a very famous screen actor, he was also known as a huge supporter of gun rights. Matter of fact, Heston was the president and spokesman for the National Rifle Association, the NRA, from 1998 until he resigned in 2003. In 2000, at the NRA convention, in what was one of, I think, the most memorable lines of the 2000 presidential race, this was the the Bush-Gore race, Charlton Heston raises a rifle over his head and speaking to the potential of Al Gore becoming the president of the United States, uh, says, you will take away my Second Amendment rights from my cold, dead hands. And that line has, of course, I'm not saying he originated it, but but that's now become associated with the efforts of people to try to take firearms from gun owners. You will take this from me, from my cold, dead hands. All right, which brings us to something that has happened in the last couple days. Now, I know that there's a lot of people out there, myself included, who are extremely frustrated with the the ongoing situations of mass shootings and things like that. I also think that there's things that reasonable people should be able to agree on when it comes to areas of quote-unquote gun control. Now, just like we talked about in that, that story we just discussed, you, know, you have these laws, and, and the laws really are, are pretty much ineffectual. You had this guy who's a multiple felon, not legally allowed to possess a firearm, and yet he's driving around the city with a firearm that he uses to shoot the 47-year-old woman. All right, So the, the law that says you can't hold own the gun didn't stop him from getting the gun, didn't stop him from carrying the gun, and didn't stop the creep from using the gun. So there's a limit to those types of, of situations, and there's a limit to laws. But here is where some of the people who would be president are going. Okay, Beto O'Rourke. Home state, Texas, you just had the situation, you know, you had the situation at that Walmart in El Paso. You had the situation in Odessa over the weekend. All right. Over the weekend, he's asked how he would address gun owners' concerns that the government could be planning to take away their firearms. Here's what Beto O'Rourke, running to be president of the United States as a Democrat, said. I want to be really clear. That's exactly what we're going to do. Americans who own AR-15s, AK-47s, will have to sell them to the government. Right Now, again, we're not talking about machine guns, automatic firearms, which are, generally speaking, illegal unless you've got a permit. You know, we're talking about the, the single shot, The again, the AR-15s, the AK-47s. Beto O'Rourke says, yes, 
we, if I become president, you will have to sell your guns to the government. Then he tweeted out a video of his comments, and he said, I was asked how I'd address people's fears that we will take away their assault rifles. He said, I want to be clear. That's exactly what we're going to do. Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell their assault weapons. All of them. All right. All of them. So then you go to Cory Booker, who is the senator from New Jersey who wants to be president. Cory Booker says, yes, he believes that there needs to be an outright ban on owning these semi-automatic types of firearms. And like O'Rourke, he wants a mandatory turnover policy. In other words, as a matter of law, if you are one of the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who own one of these types of firearms, you would be a criminal if you did not turn over your gun. Booker says, I know this is something that ultimately we need to get the Democratic Party on board with, but I would like to see a buyback program and a mandatory turnover. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of the city of New York, also wants to be president. He says, yes, he supports a mandatory program. Other people have said, well, we would like, like Joe Biden would say, I'd like to have a, a, I'd like to have a, a optional buyback program for these. But there are a number of mainstream candidates who say, we think we've reached this point where no citizen should be allowed to own one of these. And not only are we going to be talking about a ban on new ones, we are going to require everybody who owns one of these to turn them in. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And if you didn't turn one in, presumably you would then become a, a criminal subject to some form of prosecution. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All of us, I think, are frustrated with the, the gun violence. I'm frustrated that you have a multiple felon out on the street carrying a gun that shoots and kills a 47-year-old person. I'm frustrated that you have, you know, some of these psycho losers who, you know, go on these mass shooting sprees. I am frustrated with the fact that you've got mentally ill people who are apparently able to get guns despite the fact that you've got background checks that should have turned all that up. Is that, though, a justification for saying to the hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people who own these particular types of firearms, you're no longer going to be allowed to own them? You are going to have to turn them in. And what what happens when people don't? You know, will people turn their firearms in if the government says you have to? I'm very doubtful. 414-799-1620, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. There are approximately 5 to 10 million AR-15s in private ownership in the United States. A number of the candidates who are running for president on the Democratic side believe that the government should take them away from the owners. Government would have to pay you, but if you don't participate in the mandatory buyback, you would then become a criminal. Is this is this reasonable? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I'm one of those, I am one of those evil 
<clears throat> gun owners and a NRA member. And this is, you've got to give them points for honesty. They've finally taken the mask off because this is what us crazy gun guys have been telling you for years. And everybody goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's just, you know, we just want background checks. We just want registration. We just, you know, it's we don't want to take your guns away. Yeah. That, yes, they do want to take your guns uh, no away. Quite, and, and he's not making, I mean, give Beto O'Rourke, give Cory Booker, give Bill de Blasio credit. Yeah, they're they're saying, yes, you know, we, we those 5 to 10 million that are in private hands, we are going to take them away from you. Yep. Exactly. And this is the problem. If you want to have, I will sign up for extended background checks mm-hmm. when you punish the criminals. You commit a crime with a gun, it's 10 years, automatic. Don't pass go. You commit a second crime with a gun after your 10 years, it's life. And you talked earlier about the guy who shot the woman on the street. Right. And you're saying, we can't warehouse these people. Yes, warehouse these people. Yeah. Put them on an island. I don't care. There's Apostle Islands up in Superior. Make a nice prison up there. Alcatraz of the North. <laughs> you just warehouse them, lock them up, and throw away the key. Period. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, at least it, it would at least it would make some streets safer. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. See, here here's where I come down. See, I don't think this conversation is productive because just like I I I have issues with some of you. You know who you are. When I say, look, I don't understand what the big deal about universal background checks are. I I agree that it's not necessarily going to stop much, but I don't understand what the problem is. I don't understand why. An average citizen needs a, a a magazine that contains a hundred rounds, so you can fire a hundred rounds without without stopping. I don't understand why the average citizen needs a bump stock that converts an otherwise legal rifle into a machine gun at the cost of twenty five bucks. All right, that that's on the one side. The flip side of this is because you have a handful of crazies who you know engage in these horrible crimes. I, I don't know that I'm convinced that that's a justification for saying to the millions and millions of people who use these type of firearms and, and would never think to commit a crime with them, I don't see a justification for taking those guns away from those people. But also, I live in this real world. How, how are you going to do that? I mean, are we really going to go door to door and try to canvas? If you get, what, 60 days to turn in your gun, if you don't turn in your gun, what are we going to do? Is that how we're going to spend our law enforcement resources going through, you know, farm by farm up north looking to see who has particular guns and then having the government take them. I mean, what's the practical effect of this? It just, it doesn't work. Let's talk to Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Just take you off speaker. Um, I just don't see that as a viable option. I own an AR-15 variant. I use it for environment hunting. It's got a heavy barrel on it. Got a five round magazine. I can put a thirty round magazine in. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with it. Um, it's never occurred to you to drive into downtown Green Bay and shoot up the city. Nope, 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 nope. But um, it, where, where do you stop? I mean, I also have what's known as the Browning DAR, not the World War II one, but it's a it's a semi automatic gear rifle, probably one of the most popular gear rifles in the country. It's a five shot semi automatic. Is that next? Mm-hmm. I just think it uh, it's a slippery slope, and I. Agree with your other caller about universal background checks. The concern about that really is not background check. That's a good idea. But the government then has a database of everybody who owns every gun in the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, an aluminum foil on my head type guy, but still, 
you know, I don't think it's the government's business what we have for firearms. I yeah. mean, that's been tried before in other countries, and it, those countries didn't end pretty too well. Okay, but. Steve, let me ask you this. Cause I have a number of texts that, that ask simply the question, tell me why anybody should need an AR-15. What, why, why, why should you have a right to own that firearm, given the fact that you do have a handful of crazies that create huge havoc with that particular gun? Well, you know that less than 2% of all murders in the United States have involved a rifle. And, a, and the AR-15 is a, is a subset of that. The reason a lot of people have them, myself included, is because they're extremely accurate. They shoot a small bullet. Some people use them for deer hunting. It's great for kids because it doesn't have much recoil. Uh, and, you know, a forty four Magnum, a 12-gauge shotgun, whatever, they're all going to kill you dead if they're put in the wrong hand. So I don't think it has anything to do with the style of a weapon. It's what it is. It's the person that's pulling the trigger. I mean, that sounds overly simplistic, but that's really the case. A gun has never killed anyone. You know, it's interesting to me, Steve, because years and years ago, the, the debate of the gun control debate was always it was it was directed at handguns. We you know, we've got to get the handguns off the street because to your point, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my sense is the vast majority of gun related homicides are committed with handguns. At least that's always what the numbers were. So we got to get handguns out of people's hands. Now that the conversation has changed, now it's we have to go after the semi-automatic rifles. And but again, the, the point is, I, I just what what is the government going to do? Are we going to go door to door, Steve? And you don't turn in your gun? Are we going to have the government coming and arresting you and seizing your firearm? I mean, is that how we want to spend our resources? Well, yeah, and you know, and I'm not saying all hell would break loose if somebody would do that and there'd be a revolt. But I would guess that there would, if that ever did come to bear in this country, there would there would be people that died holding on to the guns, and there'd be law enforcement people who died trying to get those guns that constitutionally they have no right to. So, um, I, I, to me, it's, a, it, it's just a worthless debate in my mind. Yeah, it, well, I mean, I just don't think it's going to. I mean, think, see, I and and it it's part of again what frustrates me about this whole discussion because I think we, we get entrenched feelings on on both sides. And again, I know know some people disagree with me. I, I don't. I would be in favor of limits on the the enormous gun magazines, okay, that have been used in some of the shootings. Now, th- does that mean that, you know, you, you couldn't have, like, the, the magazines that have 20 rounds, and, yes, it takes you a couple seconds to re- reload, and maybe when you have that psycho that they can create just as much or maybe as much, if not more, damage? Yeah, I, I understand. That's not a perfect solution. But to me, I, I don't understand, just like I don't – It's. I don't think people have a constitutional right to own machine guns or bazookas. I don't know that there's a constitutional right to own a magazine that's capable of shooting a hundred round, containing a hundred rounds of ammunition. Just don't see that. The flip side of that is, if if we're actually talking about gun confiscation, explain to me how and who is going to go out to the five to ten million Americans who own these particular type of firearms and force them to give them up when a good percentage of them refuses to do so. It's just not a serious conversation on either side, which isn't to say that we shouldn't be open to reasonable gun control measures. But for some of you out there who were thinking, well, you know, these people who are talking about gun control really are talking about coming and taking our guns. The the answer is, at least when it comes to some people, that's precisely what they're talking about doing. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One of the, the things that I, I enjoy, one of the many, many reasons I enjoy working here at WTMJ is the fact that um, we, we are part of the community. And one of the things management has given us the ability to do is to identify causes that we are personally interested in and get involved in them and then use the resources of the station to help promote them. And one of the things I have always been absolutely blown away by has been your generosity in responding to these various WTMJ CARES initiatives. We are in the middle of one right now, and it's being spearheaded by my colleague, my teammate, Eric Bilstadt. And Eric joins us for a couple minutes. Eric, let's talk a little bit about the, this type 1 diabetes issue and the juvenile diabetes and the WTMJ CARES project. Yeah, so we are raising money to cure type 1 diabetes, and it's a little bit different than type 2. I think oftentimes people think of the more common type 2 diabetes which can be attributed to many different things. Usually it's uh, middle-aged folks or to younger to middle-aged folks. It's um, obesity plays a role sometimes. Diet can play a role. Lifestyle. Lack of exercise. Lack of exercise, sure. Type 1 is different. Type 1 can happen at any time, and there's no way really to stop it. And it's when your insulin is not produced at all in your pancreas. So you cannot create any hormone, this insulin, to burn your blood sugars, to basically balance the food that you eat. Um, And why is that important? Well, because if your blood sugar goes very high, you're doing chronic damage to your body. If your blood sugar goes very low, you can go into seizure and shock, and and you can even go into a coma, and sometimes it can be fatal. And uh, And as anybody with diabetes, either type 1 or type 2, knows that uh, the effect of diabetes damage to heart and your eyes and your kidneys and Mm -hmm. circulation in Mm -hmm. in general. It's, you know, they refer to it as a silent killer, but it's a very, very serious condition. You can't hide from it. No organ in your body can hide from it either. So type 1, remarkably, there there is a large number of type 1 diabetics in southeast Wisconsin, and the Medical College of Wisconsin does a lot of research right here on some of these folks to learn more about what are some of the biomarkers, meaning can they determine who is getting it and why? Can they potentially prevent type 1 diabetes? Could they hopefully then learn to cure the disease? And oftentimes, most importantly, just because it's the ones like me that live with it now, how can you manage it even better? So T1D, people generally are living longer now than they were, say, 20, 30 years ago because of that effort. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because as part of this project, I mean, you've shared a little bit about your personal situation. You are a, you you suffer from type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm, and and were diagnosed as a young child with that. Yeah, 35 years ago. So, yeah, so I've had it since I was seven years old. Um, It's... It's not going to change everything about you, but it is a dramatic, I don't know how to describe it without scaring people. I mean, it's a dramatic illness to deal with, but you can live a normal life with it. But it's it's very different. It's You have to walk this fine line of making sure that you're controlling your blood sugar by testing it a million times. Right. Like and, you, were, you were a pump, right? Yes. All the time, yeah. Yeah. So I have a insulin coming into my body in some form 24 hours a day, which is phenomenal. Other people use injections, which I did for many years. Uh, other people have Back pains. when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so, so seven years seven old. Seven years old, you're, back then you're injecting yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which felt like a spear going into my, my arms and legs. But, <sighs> yeah, so no sugar, you know, all that, injecting yourself multiple times a day, 
pricking your finger, testing your blood sugar multiple times a day, and then running into issues. I mean, the the low blood sugars. I mean, I've had some epic ones of just going into seizures and shock and, and putting my parents through pretty much hell and um, trying to keep that blood sugar from going high because, like you were talking about, you know, the eyesight, the losing right. your extremities. I mean, there's so many different issues with it. Um, and remarkably, though, with all of that, JDRF, which is what we're trying to raise money for, that's the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Yes. Right. yes. They have been around for a long time raising money both locally and across the country to fight this global situation. Remarkably, I mean, they have made strides in being able to get there. Researchers have helped with like the things like the pump. You know, They weren't always uh, available before. Um, being able to check your blood sugar in real time and checking it on your phone and knowing if it's going to be moving one way or another. Those are things that you couldn't do before. Um, and helping children who are diagnosed, which really, I mean, that is just a dramatic life event, not only for the the child, but for the parents and the family to to be told, okay, here's what you have to do. Hey, by the way, you're going to have to get up several times a night to make sure that your blood sugar is good. You're going to have to change your diet completely until you get it under control. It is just a... A, a major change to your life that is not easy to do, and it's something that they believe they can eventually stop. Um, so we're trying to raise money, $40,000. Watchery Industries and Premier Aluminum, they are behind this effort because the CEO, his stepdaughter, has type 1 diabetes. So it's something personal to him and their family, and they know how much this affects other kids in the area. So they took it upon themselves to get behind this effort and raise this money. Uh, so I couldn't be prouder to do it. And, and some of the people I'm meeting, uh, these folks that have type 1 who have been you know through the throes of the challenges and are now doing well and the others that still see the challenge in front of them because it's just not easy i mean this is a if anything we're raising the awareness of the idea of type 1 being a real thing you know instead of people thinking of type 2 as the one diabetes okay so let's talk about how people can yes. participate and how people can help okay so wtmj cares it's on the website if you go to wtmj.com you can find it uh you can also and this is easier this way you can just text the word cares to us so if you text C-A-R-E-S, CARES, to 414-799-1620, we'll send you all the information back. You can see some of the stories that we've told already. Uh, the most recent is a Max McGee story. He was really big in finding a cure for type 1 diabetes. And you can be part of our walk. So we are creating a team for the JDRF1 walk, which is September 14th at Greenfield Park. And you can join the team, or you can just donate some money if you'd like to do so. And, of course, we'd be happy to take that. Uh, if you go to that page, which is part of our, our right. coverage there, you I'm can... At it right yep, now. You can click on my name. My name, Eric Bilstead, should show up. You can pop on there, and you can donate it on my behalf as I am part of the team. Uh, Steve Scafidi is going to walk with us. Michael Spaulding and a bunch of others here of the team are going to walk, too, as well. And we're all just hoping to raise some money so we can help make T1D type 1 from type none. And our goal is? $40,000, okay. which is a tough putt. Which is a tough putt, but I'm hoping that we can, uh, we can make some uh, noise here now that everyone's back from summer break. And we can really get moving on this. Well, it, it's certainly a, a worthwhile cause. Uh, my wife, Fran, and I would love to join you. We're we're going to be out of town. We're, we're coming oh, yeah. back from a river cruise. But to kind of help jumpstart this, um, I'm just looking at the donation form now. You can put us down for 1000 bucks to oh. Well, no, it's, yeah. a, it's a great cause. It, it, it just is. And, oh, man, that's um, great. As somebody who is at my stage in life, 
not type one, but constantly aware of the blood sugars sure. and, and things like that. I understand what it's what it's like and what a challenge it, it is, and I can only imagine what it's like for kids. I can only imagine what being five years old or six or seven years old is and having to you know watch what you eat and not be able to eat or you know all the stuff that all the other mm-hmm. kids are eating. It's yeah. gotta. It's just gotta be. An amazing challenge to children, and and to realize that you're mortal and that it's affecting you, and, and teaching that to a child is pretty hard for them to comprehend. And then once they do, that can be scary as well. Man, I can't thank you enough for that. That's well, no, you are too kind. Well, it, it's very deserved. So once again, for people who are listening, if you want to make a contribution, how do we do this? Either just text us the word CARES to 414-799-1620 or on our website, go to the events and you'll see WTMJ CARES and yeah. then you just take it. That's where yeah. I am now. Yep. So, and you can find the link to our, our walk page and you can donate or you can join us on the walk. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely. Eric Bilstead, best of luck with a very, very worthwhile cause. Thank you, man. Thank you very much for the donation. You betcha. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to fill out the form right now so I make sure I don't forget. All right. <laughs> uh, we're back with more of the program in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. It's very easy. I'm almost done filling out that donation form. So it's a wonderful cause. Um, and obviously, we're talking about type 1 diabetes for kids. And I, I said to Eric, I, I just, as somebody who at my age, you know, wrestles with, you know, watching your weight and losing blood sugar and monitoring blood sugar and not eating certain things that you love to eat, I can only imagine what it would be like for a five or a six or seven year old. So um, if you are in such a position to do this, um, Make a donation, uh, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. Um, text the word CARES. We'll send you the information. Or just go to our website, and you'll see in the front page it says events, and then you'll see WTMJ CARES. It's very, very easy to do that. So um, participate. It would be great to help Eric get to his goal. All right. want to switch gears. And, and I, I've been wanting to talk to you about this story all day because, to me, it demonstrates, at least my take on this is, you know, we have completely lost our ability to have fun in this world. Let me tell you this story. There is a restaurant in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Gru, have you ever been to Albuquerque, New Mexico? You have never been to Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're not missing much. Um, now, maybe somebody from Albuquerque is listening to me, but... Albuquerque is not the garden spot of the Southwest. Albuquerque, it's kind of like the 51st and capital of the Southwest. Um, there's a reason why the show Breaking Bad about meth dealers was set in Albuquerque. Let me, let me just put it like this. There are some beautiful places in New Mexico. Albuquerque is not necessarily one of them. But this story comes from Albuquerque. There is a restaurant in Albuquerque. It is called Urban Taqueria. It is a Mexican restaurant, and it's run by a guy who is an immigrant. He has a menu. Now, I'm looking at the website now, although this story has gone international. It's all over. But, you know, there will be restaurants where they will name things. They'll come up with, with, with funny names 
for you know items like you you go to Oak Creek and go to some restaurant in Oak Creek and uh, Steve's Caffiti. So the ba- instead of being a bacon cheeseburger, it'll be the Steve's Caffiti burger or something like that. You know the, the Brad Pitt burger. They they do things like that. So the guy that runs this restaurant, Urban Taqueria, he has he's named a number of the dishes. All right, here are some of the names, just some of them. One is called, and these are, these are taco dishes. One is called executive privilege. One is called credible sources. One is called the libertarian vegan. One is called the immigrant. One is called fake news. <laughs> okay. One is called the Mueller. <laughs> One is called uh, the Democrats. Another one's called the Republicans. Another one's called popular vote. You get the idea. Another one's called outsourced. Then you go to the burritos. And these are some of the names for the burritos. One burrito is called the wall. Another's called no collusion. Another's called the stormy. A number's called locker up. And another's called under audit. You get the idea. The guy has taken Trump-related things from the news, and he's named food like that. All right? So, you know, you, you don't – and he, he's trying to be clever. He's trying to be, you know, interesting about it. This has created a huge amount of controversy because people, at least some, are complaining about use of terms like the wall – the immigrant, lock her up. One guy says, the story I'm looking at, the way things are right now, it's not good. We need to have respect for others and have limits. Okay, there's another one. I think I said one of the taco dishes is called fake news. A University of New Mexico professor says this is a problem because you're normalizing these terms. It seems fun. It seems like you can make fun of this and maybe make it lighthearted, but you really can't. You're offending a whole community. It's normalizing the terms and potentially turning them into funny or humorous terms. And the more you do that, the more likely are people are to repeat them and perhaps forget the context in which they are said. The owner essentially said, hey, we're having fun here. Um, 99% of the people who walk in, more than 99%, don't seem to have an issue with it. The menu is not designed to insult people or hurt people. It's meant to keep the conversation going on what's happening around us. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we understand now we live in a world where there is the politically correct and there are the perpetually offended, the folks who wake up every day and they are appalled at some of the things they see. So you've got this guy, his menu borrows from the popular jargon. You can order the wall. You can order the stormy. You can order the locker up. You can order the under audit. You can even order the fake news. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should this guy back down? Is he being offensive or are the people that are upset about this dangerously in need of a life and a sense of humor? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
414-799-1620. All right, so the guy in Albuquerque, he, he's naming dishes on the menu. He's calling them the wall. He's calling them locker up. He's saying fake news. And you have all these people whose undies are in a complete and total bundle going, oh, my goodness, these are normalizing these terms. All right, text line. Jeff, laugh out loud. I love it. He shouldn't back down. People need to lighten up. Um, let's see, Jeff, I heard about this on the news. When we go to New Mexico in October, I swear we are going to eat there. You know, if I was going out to Albuquerque, don't know why I'd be going there, but if I did, I'd want to go there. Jeff, he should call one taco the perpetually offended and it changes daily like a daily special. Well, there are things, you know, like that as well. See, this is the problem that we have. Jeff, I relate this to the same people who are going to be offended by this upcoming Halloween season outfits just to have fun. See, th- this is the idea. I understand there's stuff to be offended about, but, you know, we, we live in this world where there's all these snowflakes who, and, and again, you, you get a lot of this in the media. It is, of course, a media professor going, oh, how dare they call us fake news? Well, okay, I understand that you don't like that term. My answer is always, if you don't like fake news, stop reporting fake news. No, note to CNN. But the bottom line is, okay, you know, you don't like the stormy, don't order it. You don't like the wall. Don't go to the restaurant. Otherwise, lighten up, snowflakes. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Marquette University Law School poll is out. We've talked about the Marquette Law School school poll before. Many, many times, it, it's, it is the gold standard for, for polls. And they went through a period of time where they got a lot of stuff right. Then they kind of hit a rough patch. Um, if you believe the Marquette University Law School um, polls, Ron Johnson wouldn't have been elected the first time over Russ Feingold. He wouldn't have been reelected over Russ Feingold. And Hillary Clinton would be the president. So they, they've, they've gotten it wrong as well. But nevertheless... I, polling is tough in today's day and age. It, it just is. It's tough to find voters who participate. People lie to the voters. I firmly believe support for Donald Trump is greater than is shown in polls because it's just it's not popular to do that. And so people that they're just reluctant, at least some people, I think, are reluctant to say we're really going to vote for Donald Trump. And, and so I, I do believe that when you see polls, it underestimates his support. I, what I don't know is is how much. And, you know, truth to be told, in the last election, the 2018 congressional election, the Marquette University Law School poll did a pretty good job. So they, they, they've been up and down. But um, I, I think, in general, as polls go, it tends to be one of the better ones, which doesn't mean that they, they get it right all the time because they don't. All right, here's the other truism, that you're going to see a lot of attention by presidential candidates over the course of, you know, essentially the next, when this is September, October, November, over the next 14 months. One of the reasons the Democratic National Convention is in Milwaukee even though lots and lots of the delegates are staying in Illinois, is because Wisconsin is a key state. Most states are not in play. You know, most states right now, you don't have to have an election because we know who's going to win. Donald Trump is not going to win California. He's not. Donald Trump is not going to win Illinois. Donald Trump is not going to win New York State. All right, so that doesn't it doesn't matter. People aren't going to campaign there because 
You know, the Democrats are guaranteed that. There are a number of states that whoever the Democratic candidate is, they're not going to win. It's just, it's, we are a polarized country geographically. This election, like it frequently does, is going to come down to a handful of swing states. Here's also the reality for Trump supporters out there. If, if President Trump doesn't win Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin and Iowa like he did before it's it's going to be tough he has to win certainly has to win Ohio probably has to win Pennsylvania and then you know maybe you can lose Michigan if you win some other states but but it's going to be tough and Wisconsin is going to be one of those battlegrounds i mean who if Pre- president trump doesn't carry Wisconsin and doesn't get Wisconsin's 10 electoral college votes the path to re-election is very, very difficult. And that's why we're going to have a lot of attention on Wisconsin. So this poll that's out there does head-to-head matchups between Donald Trump and some of the leading Democrat challengers. All right, so here's here's what it says. Kamala Harris, she's not going to get the nomination. She and President Trump are tied at 44% each. And like I say, I believe these polls under cover the 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 support for president trump but how much i i don't know so they're tied 44 percent that is within the polls margin of error elizabeth warren who could potentially get the nomination and trump tied 45 percent each in wisconsin again within the margin of error bernie sanders of vermont who did very well four years ago, remember in the Democratic primary against Hillary Clinton, he leads Trump 48 to 44 percent. That is close to the survey's margin of error. Let's call that a statistical dead heat. And former Vice President Joe Biden leads Trump 51 to 42 percent, a nine-point spread outside the polls' margin of error. In the Democratic primary, Biden was the choice of 28% of the voters, Sanders 20, Warren 17, and South Bend Mayor Pete, um, he gets 6%. So Biden leading, Biden and Sanders pulling about 48 to 50% of the potential vote, which which I think makes sense. Now, a lot of stuff can, can happen between now and then. I don't see Biden dropping out. I don't see Sanders dropping out. I don't see Elizabeth Warren dropping out. But primary elections are, are about momentum. You know, so who's going to win Iowa? Who's going to win New Hampshire? You know, who's going to win on Super Tuesday? Who's going to be left? Is it still going to be Bernie and uh, Elizabeth Warren trying to, you know, carry on for the left? Or are one of the two of them going to be gone? Is Biden still going to be there or will there some, be some major flub? I guess my my review of these numbers, and, and I, I think it's probably an accurate reflection of the state of the race right now. That's 14 months out, but I think it's an accurate reflection of the state of the race, and that is that President Trump, around 45 uh, percent, but... But, again, I believe that that's underreported. I think he's probably better than that. I think if you have some of the the far lefties, the Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens, the people who want to um, remake America in their very left-wing image, I I think, I'll say this now, I think Trump wins Wisconsin if it's Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. If it is a more moderate Democrat, like, like a Joe Biden, for example, somebody who comes kind of from the, you know, Bill Clinton wing of the Democrat Party, 
I think for Wisconsin voters, that's going to be a problem for Donald Trump. I, I So, I mean, I'm not surprised by these numbers at all. All right. Um, Biden viewed favorably by 70 percent of Democratic primary voters. Warren viewed favorably by 53 percent. Um, Sanders, 63 percent favorable. So the people that know Joe Biden like him. And I think one of the things that's going to happen as this campaign plays out is more and more Democrats are going to come home. That is, they're going to say, you know, we want to beat Trump and that's the top priority. And we recognize that if we go with an Elizabeth Warren or we go with a Bernie Sanders, the task of beating Trump becomes markedly more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult. All right. Uh, the president's job approval rating, 45 percent compared to 53 percent disapproval. But here's the key number. People vote their pocketbooks. And when they ask him, all right, how is he handling the economy? And remember Bill Clinton when he was running in uh, 1992? The the, the, the saying they had up on the the campaign billboards, the whiteboards, were, it's the economy, stupid. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people care about all sorts of things, but people vote their pocketbooks. And here you have Trump's approval rating uh, as far as the economy, 49%, 50% disapproval. So it's about even within the margin of error. If the race is on... On the economy, I think Donald Trump's reelection prospects, you know, increase dramatically if the economy goes into the tank over the course of the next year, which is why I think the president needs to be really, really careful when he's fooling around with these trade wars and things like that. Uh, bottom line is um, I, I, it, it shows that Wisconsin is very, very competitive. It shows that if the Democrats chose to nominate Joe Biden, he would be the leader in the clubhouse. By the way, I believe that to be the case. If they nominate anybody other than Joe Biden, it's the, the, the race is on. The, the race is on. What will they do? Well, stay tuned. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The hypocrisy of this is, is stunning. You know, if you will see on many, many occasions, you'll see movies about the 1950s and the so-called Hollywood blacklist. And this goes back to the era of Wisconsin Senator Joe McCarthy, where there was people would use it, the term witch hunt. This was after World War II. And the question was, had communists infiltrated uh, uh, America's government? And were there people loyal to the Soviet Union who were, you know, buried, they were part of the deep state in the government who were working against the interests of the United States? And so Congress um, decided to hold a series of hearings where, you know, the views of, of loyal Americans you know, we're, we're challenged. And the infamous question of, you know, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? And it evolved in many different ways where people's lives were were ruined by these various searches. And what also developed was that what was called the Hollywood blacklist, where there were a number, because this was Hollywood, there were a lot of extremely liberal writers and performers and producers and, you know, people, again, behind the scenes, directors who, you know, had had were members of the Communist Party. Maybe that was, you know, during the war and the media time afterwards. And, you know, they got singled out. 
And what happened is they were called before committees. They were publicly shamed and they were blacklisted. There was this agreement that was made by the big studios that, you know, they're not going to work. We're not going to hire these people. And the blacklist went on and it ruined lives. It, it ruined lives. And these people were not allowed to make a living. They were ostracized merely because of their political view. It was a dark time in American history where you single out Americans and say, we're not going to let you work um, because you happen to hold this political view or that political view. And ultimately, the blacklist was broken when a number of actors and producers ultimately decided enough is enough and they started hiring these people and you know they ended up getting back to work but for some people their lives were were never the same some of the folks you know in hollywood they ended up doing time jail time for contempt because they refused to answer some of these questions that they thought were it was just un-american to ask them questions like that and so it was a very very dark time History is repeating itself, though, you know, 60 plus years later from the different perspective in Hollywood right now. There are people out there who, again, I guess, showing that they have no sense of irony at all, are pushing for their own form of blacklist. But this time it's not against communists. This time it's not against socialists. This time it's not against people who have sympathies with the Russian government or the Soviet Union. It is with conservatives and people who support Donald Trump. Here's the story. There's an event that's going on, um, fundraising event in Hollywood um, for President Trump. September 17th. It's going to be in Beverly Hills. He's going to a couple different places, but this is going to be a fundraiser in Beverly Hills. It's a big dollar event. Tickets start at $1,000. Packages for couples cost as much as $100,000. All right. And so the invitations have apparently gone out. Um, Eric McCormick. If you don't know Eric McCormick, I understand why, but if you remember the old show Will and Grace, Eric McCormick was one of the stars on Will and Grace. Um, another one of the Will and Grace stars was Deborah Messing. You know, maybe you remember her. She, she and Eric McCormick have sent out over the last couple of days very, very similar things. Um, McCormick on Friday, you know, asked this is what he said. He wanted the Hollywood Reporter, which is the you know paper that covers Hollywood. He said, hey, um, kindly report the names of everyone attending this event. That would be the Trump reporter, or the Trump thing. So all the rest of us can be clear about who we don't want to work with. Thanks. Okay, so what he's saying is, let's publish the names of all the people that are donating money to Donald Trump. All right. So all of us, this liberal elite that pretty much runs Hollywood, will be able to tell who gave money at this particular event. Let's, number one, publicly shame them. That's the latest thing that's going on out there. And then let's know who we don't want to work with. So in other words, let's have our own version of the blacklist. But this not time, it's not going to be fishing for people who have loyalties to the Soviet Union. It's going to be, well, for people who support Donald Trump and are willing to give him money. You know, interestingly enough, even a number of the liberals in Hollywood recognize that this is really a bridge too far. 
You know, and they're saying, hey, look, so what this guy's doing is he's threatening to blacklist American citizens, you know, in Hollywood because they happen to support a particular political candidate. You know, isn't this interesting that somebody who doesn't get in line with what his opinion of the world should be should be blacklisted from work? You know, oh, none of the rest of us are going to work with this guy because he showed up and supported Donald Trump. This is, again, it's the ultimate hypocrisy of the liberal elite that's out there. The same folks who were just understandably irate during that period of time in the 50s where you saw lives being ruined as the American government went on a search to try to determine personal political views of people, and then you had careers ruined because of it. Now you have the Hollywood elite who want to do exactly the same thing. And this McCormick character has tried to walk this back a little. Well, I didn't really mean I supported Blacklist. Of course he did. That is precisely what he meant. That is precisely what the guy in San Antonio meant when he was calling on uh, the publication of everybody who attends a Donald Trump event. That's the message. You give money to Donald Trump, we want people to go out and we want people to not go and use your business. We want people to send you all sorts of, you know, hate mail. We want people to not, we want to know who these people are so we don't have to work with them. If you don't think that that is an effort at a blacklist, well, again, my advice to you is duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I was talking about boycotts in the last hour and the, the blacklisting and things like that that's going on of prominent conservatives. And, you know, you'll never work again if, you know, you give money to Donald Trump. And I got a couple of texts. People say, oh, this just kind of like the boycotts, like, you know, for the people who signed the Walker recall petition. Boy, I, you want to talk about revisionist history out there. All right. After Scott Walker became governor. And you had people on the left that just their, their heads exploded, especially after Act 10. The, the organized effort by the left was, again, to boycott companies. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this website now. How quickly people forget the effort on the left was to boycott companies. There was a website. It's been taken down now, but it's called scottwalkerwatchdown.com. had a list of companies to boycott about 125 of them whose executives had given at least $5,000 to Walker. These groups included Sargento's Cheese, Sendex Food Market, etc., etc., Allen Edmund Shoes. There was this organized effort, like I say, on the part of the left, and it goes on and on and on. Palermo's Pizza, I think, was in there, too. It goes on and on and on and on and on. We, we've got to boycott this. this. This is what we are going to do. If you don't agree with us, if you have people, you work for a company, and you support, I don't know, somebody like Scott Walker. You know, you're, we're, we're going to retaliate against you. Now, these boycotts never, ever work, but this is the common tactic of the left. Again, it's this idea of blacklisting. And people were saying, well, what about people who, who signed the recall petition? Well, other than one judge in Ozaki County, of all places, who decided to sign the recall petition, and yes, that came up as an issue in his re-election campaign, and he lost. I don't remember too many people that were subjected to 
any sort of boycott or economic pressure or loss of jobs or threatening to not work because they signed the Walker recall petition. Now, it is possible that you had some politicians who ended up getting in trouble because of that, because, well, I don't know, maybe it ran afoul of their constituencies. But nobody was talking about, oh, we're going to try to take your livelihood away. But this has been a common tactic of the left. And this idea that, well, both sides do it. No, both sides really don't do it. This is the tactic. And for people who want to say, oh, remember when there was a blacklist in Wisconsin? Yeah, there was an effort to boycott businesses of donors to Scott Walker. That was the attempt. And it failed. And my guess is the the effort to boycott Trump, you know, to, to try to stop people who support Trump from working in Hollywood, that's going to fail as well. But let's understand, that's what it was all about. All right, I want to completely switch gears. The story that has been in the news for the last couple years now is getting a lot more attention. Yesterday, the Common Council, or maybe it was today, during a closed-door session, authorized a, an offer of settlement in the amount of $400,000 to be paid to Milwaukee Bucks guard Sterling Brown, $400,000. This isn't, it's really not a, it's not a settlement per se. It's what the city would do. Well, I mean, effectively, regardless of what they call it, um, Brown has filed a lawsuit, um, or at least the notice of claim, this would settle and make the lawsuit go away. Everybody knows the story of Sterling Brown by now. Um, what happened was, while back, late at night, he's illegally parked outside of a Walgreens, 2 o'clock in the morning, he's outside of a Walgreens, an officer doing a business check near West National Avenue and South 26th Street, stops Brown to question to, to question because, again, his car is illegally parked across two uh, disabled parking spaces. The situation gets tenser. Additional officers arrive on the scene. Ultimately, Brown is taken to the ground and stunned by a taser. All right, that's the, you know, that's the background of this. In what doesn't help the case, a couple of police officers, you know, afterwards decide to take to social media and kind of boast about how they, they jacked up a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, so that that creates, you know, again, you know, huge issues. From Brown's perspective, his view is that he was singled out because he was African-American, he did nothing wrong, and he was mistreated by the police. All right, Um what happened as a result of this is that in looking at this case, the city attorney, and, and by the way, I think the world of Grant Langley, I, I do, longtime city attorney, city attorney looked at this, and, and here's what people need to understand about these cases. In a civil rights lawsuit, unlike a lot of other types of lawsuits, if you are the prevailing party, and prevailing party means if you essentially means if you get any recovery at all so even let's say this case goes to a jury trial and and sterling brown gets awarded a dollar just for the sake of argument he gets awarded a dollar what happens in these types of lawsuits is as a prevailing party you are entitled to your attorney's fees and attorney's fees can run into hundreds of thousands of dollars i mean that that's just and, and I understand there's some people that think that system is unfair. I'm not necessarily sure I would argue with you, but I'm explaining that's what the system is. So there is an incredible risk 
if you are, for example, the, the city of Milwaukee, which I believe is self-insured, so the taxpayers end up paying for, for any sort of settlement, there is a tremendous risk if you go to trial because if you lose the case, what happens is you know, you got to pay damages to the defendant, but you also have to pay attorney's fees. And like I say, attorney's fees, you know, the, the meter is running. It can be extremely expensive. In this particular case, there are also problems with the city of Milwaukee's case. There's just no question uh, about that. You have, you know, Brown, who shouldn't have been parked where he was parked. And I think you could arguably say he copped a bit of an attitude. But then all of a sudden, you've got all these police officers that are on the scene. You've got the taser that's being pulled out. You have police officers after the fact kind of boasting and bragging about the fact that, you know, he was the guy they they took down. You put this all together, and it's not the finest moment for the Milwaukee Police Department. Now, Sterling Brown didn't have any sort of long-term injuries or disabilities. I think he played with the next night or something like that. But, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around in this particular situation. So the city of Milwaukee offering $400,000 to make this case go away. That would be all attorney's fees. That would be, you know, any money to Brown, et cetera, et cetera. $400,000. $400,000. As it stands now, the attorney for Mr. Brown says, um, I, I just don't know. Um, you know, I haven't talked to him. Don't know what we're going to do about, you know, this resolution of the matter. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to decide. Haven't seen an offer of judgment. Haven't discussed this figure with him. The attorney's quote in the paper is saying, unless there's an absolute admission, that Mr. Brown's civil rights were violated. There isn't any point in talking about this because, first of all, the lawsuit was to establish that Milwaukee police officers cannot approach young African-American men in the city, push them, tell them they own it, they own this. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My position right now is probably going to make everybody unhappy. But you know what? I don't fault the city for offering this money. Because, again, if you lose this case, and there are elements of this case that are tough to defend because some of the police officers, I don't think, behaved in an extremely professional fashion. You lose this case in any way, shape, or form, and you could be looking at a ton of money, a judgment against the city. That's number one. From the perspective of Sterling Brown, if you want to hold up the city for more than $400,000, shame on you. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand why the city offers this money. I think it is a more than fair offer to put this entire thing behind everyone. 414-799-1620, okay, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. I A lot of blame to go around here. $400,000 to a player that's, you know, the basketball player that makes all this money, I think is, and his attorneys, I think is more than reasonable. I think the city's being fair. I think Brown should take it. I think we should close this chapter of this book in Milwaukee and move on. 414-799-1620, what do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, I understand what I said is not going to necessarily be popular. Some people are going to say, well, wh- why is the city paying him anything? I tried to explain it as best I can, because if the city takes this Brown case to trial and loses, the 
especially given an obligation to pay attorney's fees, you could be looking at well in excess of $400,000. From Brown's perspective, if you're trying to prove a point that, okay, I, I believe that I was singled out unfairly because of my color, etc., all right, a $400,000 settlement I think is more than fair. It is a substantial amount that definitely gets the attention of people. This is one where I think both sides should declare victory and move on. Let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Yes, hi. hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, um, the facts of the case are pretty pretty standard. Um, they've been well discussed. Um, this gentleman parked illegally in the Walgreens. Right. He did not take his hands out of the pockets when the officers requested. Right. And I believe firmly he's getting an exceedingly generous offer from the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, um, yes, I, I mean, I, I think it is, it, look, he, he got tased, and even if you, even if we assume for the sake of argument that the police overreacted, it's not like this was a, a Rodney King type of, it's not like this was a beating or anything. If, if the police overreacted, he should not have been tased. He has legal remedy. But, I mean, I think $400,000, if you're trying to send a message to the Milwaukee Police Department, that sends a pretty clear message. Oh, without question. Um, and I just am on the side where I believe, look, the officer tells you to take your hands out of your pockets, you take your hands out of your pockets. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. No, I and I right. I see. Officers don't know what's going on. No, they they don't, Julie. And I guess see. I here, here's my point. I I think, I think this case was was mishandled from from the beginning on on all parts. I, in my opinion, Sterling Brown copped an attitude that that night. He could have been more cooperative, which maybe would have made this whole thing not happen. At the same time, you, you had the police. You know, okay, you've got a guy who's illegally parked. I mean, that's it. And next thing you know, you've got eight or nine police officers that are on the scene. You've got a taser situation. Um, and then afterwards, you've got police officers taking to social media and kind of boasting about what happened. I'm just going to tell you, in front of a jury, that type of stuff isn't going to look good. I think there's a lot of, like I say, a lot of blame to go around here. I think a $400,000 settlement, if Sterling Brown wants to make a point, I think he certainly made that point. I think the city of Milwaukee has acknowledged that they've got some problems with this case, which my analysis says, yeah, they have some problems with the case. All right, let's just close this chapter. It's not a great chapter, no matter how you look at it. Let's close the chapter and move on. Dave on the south side. Hi, Dave. Hey, uh, I I don't think he's going to settle it, Jeff. I think... He wants them to admit that they were racist when they when they uh, approached them. Well, they're not, I, I mean, they're not going to admit that they were racist. We're finally yeah. going to say that we do that all the time. The Milwaukee police do that all the time to black people in the city of Milwaukee. If he's, they're not going to admit that, I don't think he'll settle it. No. Well, I I guess that then I guess my question is. Okay, it, what is what is the point of all this? The police are, are never – the police – you're not going to get a statement saying, okay, these police behaved in a racist fashion. That That's not what's going to happen because I think the police – a lot of the police would tell you, no, that, that's not what happened. Like our first caller, Julie, was saying, their response is going to be, hey, hey, look, we had somebody who – 
was you know doing something he shouldn't be doing. He was parked illegally. We're doing this business check because you know these businesses have been robbed and things like that. You know we show up. The guy cops an attitude. Now again, I I'm not saying I don't that I think the police handled this in a completely appropriate fashion. I am saying there are two sides to this particular story, and if it's going to be well on principle, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go to trial here because I. I want some sort of vindication. Well, cash the check, pay your lawyers. Okay, that's that's where your vindication goes to. Um, let's see, 414-799-1620. Number of interesting uh, texts here. Um, let's see. Brown can afford to turn it down. Um, you know, if he does, you know, he should take the money. He should donate it to the MAC fund, MMAC fund. That's, you know, that's clear. There's another text. He should take the money. If he wants better relations, he could donate it all to a program that does that in Milwaukee. Um, if he doesn't like the police that went on social media, well, you know, that's his. Jeff, private companies settle lawsuits all the time to preclude long, expensive legal fights. I believe the city is correct in trying to end this. Yes, see, I... I agree with that as well, and I understand that's the subtlety that's out there. And believe me, $400,000 is a lot of money, but under these circumstances, and again, given the fact that you're on the hook for legal fees. Now, there are many people who believe, see, in most cases, most cases, you're not responsible for legal fees. It, it's it's not loser pays. It's, you know, you sue somebody, you hire your attorney, you pay that attorney. The person you're suing hires an attorney, that person pays their attorney. That's not how it works in these type of cases, which give which gives public bodies a, an incentive to settle if there's a potential that they could lose in any way, shape, or form. And losing could be just getting a verdict of, you know, $5 or something like that, that could lead to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I go back to my basic principle. I think there's a lot of wrong. I think there's a lot of wrong to go around here. Sterling Brown, a number of the police officers, at least a couple that were on the scene, I think this is the one. The sooner we close the book on it, the better it's going to be for everyone. Will it happen? Don't know. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 50,000, 50,000, 50,000. There are 50,000 unvaccinated children heading to Wisconsin schools this year. In 2000, the year 2000, the government declared measles in the United States essentially eradicated. Why was measles eradicated? Well, it was eradicated because of the development of vaccines. And so a childhood disease that got lots and lots of people sick decades ago, and in some cases killed kids, it's gone. We eliminated it because of medical science. Well, okay, this year we are in the midst nationwide of the largest measles epidemic outbreak um, in the last couple decades, since 1992. So far this year, 1,215 cases of measles have been reported as of a couple weeks ago. That's that's the largest 1992, and you know it's going to go up dramatically over the course of the next couple months. Um, in Wisconsin, we haven't had a measles outbreak yet, but the people who monitor this stuff say it, it's just it's dumb luck because we have all these kids that are unvaccinated that are going to the public schools. The idea of vaccination depends on this thing that they call herd mentality. Uh, essentially, what herd mentality is, is that 
uh, enough people have been vaccinated to prevent the infection from spreading to those who are susceptible. Well, our problem is, you know, you need, you know, to have herd mentality, you need uh, about 92% of the population to be vaccinated. Um, right now, the vast majority of counties in Wisconsin, the vaccination rate is below 80%. So we are a measles outbreak just waiting to happen. In, in many states, the law says in order to send your kid to a public school, the child has to be vaccinated unless there is a medical reason. And this happens almost never. Unless there is a medical reason. A doctor says, gee, by getting this vaccination, you're going to put the child's life at risk. Right. Um, but in Wisconsin, it's not just medical reasons. We essentially allow religious exemptions. My religion tells me my child can't get a shot. And the most widely used exemption is just personal preference. The parents say, well, we don't want to. We would prefer not to. And so if you say, I would prefer not to, your kid doesn't have to be vaccinated. All right, well, here's the problem. First of all, you are exposing your child to measles, and your child could get extremely sick. But secondly, you are exposing other people's kids to measles as well. Well, you might say, well, Jeff, if you've been vaccinated, you know, what, what does it matter if the kid sitting next to your kid in class gets the measles? Well, it's not that simple. First of all, there's lots of people who um, are, are not able to be vaccinated because, again, they've got compromised immune systems or, or whatever. And for them, catching the measles or being exposed to somebody that has the measles might be fatal. There's also a number of small children out there who are too young to um, be vaccinated. So, you know, they get exposed to some kid who is carrying the measles, and suddenly they have it as well. So it's not just if you make the decision not to vaccinate your kid, you're willing to say, okay, I'm going to live with the consequences of my kid getting sick. Well, it's not that simple because, you know, measles is a very, very contagious disease. It can spread, you know, before you, you can you can be spreading measles before you have an outbreak of measles, before you even know you have it. So we are definitely at risk of another outbreak. 50,000 children right now or in Wisconsin public schools without vaccinations. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit I am frustrated by this because overwhelming evidence of medical science suggests that for almost everybody, these vaccinations are safe. For almost everybody. But if you if you want to decide, if you want to decide for your children that you know better, and you don't want to have your child vaccinated, okay, that, that's fine. I get the argument that the government shouldn't be telling you, you know, what you should put in your child's system. I think, though, it is more than fair to say if you don't want to have your kid vaccinated, then your kid should not be in public schools because your child being non-vaccinated poses a risk to other children. So you don't want to have the kid vaccinated, fine, no public schools. And I understand people are going to disagree with me about that. But to me, that is the reasonable compromise. If you want your kid to go to public schools, there's certain things you have to do. And one is to get that vaccination, because candidly, I think it is irresponsible to send children when we have a disease, you know, measles, mumps, 
um, polio, all these different diseases that, that are devastating and have been eradicated, and we're seeing a comeback because people decided, well, I don't want to get the vaccine. 414-799-1620, you don't want to do it, okay, fine. But then you figure out something else, some other way that your kid is going to get educated. To me, that's the compromise. Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I agree with you entirely, and I think what's happening is you have a generation of people that, that didn't get these childhood diseases. I think you're about the same age I am, and we had them, and they are at best unpleasant. And At best, yeah, at best. At you're, best. you're sick as a dog for, you know, a week or ten days, yeah. And it can be deadly, and I think any parent... Um, with the literature and the you know the scientific proof out there that doesn't get their child vaccinated is guilty of child neglect. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, there, I, yeah, I, I can't see. I just don't understand the thinking. Um, I don't either. And you're endangering other kids. Well, see, and, and that's why I come down and think. I guess if you, you if you want to take the risk for your own child with regard to this, I don't agree with it. But okay, you're you're the parent. Your, your kid can get upset with you when they end up getting sick. But, you know, you're putting other people's kids at risk. And that's why I say no public schools. Well, and it's the most frail and and kids that you're putting at risk. Sure. Those that could die from this. and then Or the babies or the children, you know, the kids that are too right. young. Yeah, and so your stupid decision causes the death of a child, and that's okay? Um, no, th- thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, and I guess I'm... I knew I knew that we had numbers here. Fifty thousand unvaccinated children in Wisconsin alone. I mean, that's that's. And again, I, you're talking about somebody who I, I think they developed the measles vaccine. I believe the year I was born. I, I think I'd have to go back and look at that. But I, I mean, you know, measles has become a thing in the past. Mumps has become a thing of the past. Polio's become a thing of the past. And, and yet, we're on the verge of seeing a resurrection of this, a resurgence of this. You know, exposing children to these diseases because people decide, well, I don't want to do it. Hi, Jeff. Here's a text. Herd immunity that you were talking about is crucial. I work at Children's, and I was at a meeting recently where an ED doctor researcher walked in, threw down her papers, and announced, by this time next year, we'll all have measles, all of us. I don't know if that's a little extreme, but... But, yeah, um, all right, Jeff, if you do not want to vaccinate your children because of religious belief or because whatever you believe, fine, then you should homeschool your children. Yeah, that's that's kind of my point, you know, on this as well. You don't want to do it, you know, fine, no problem. Um, But then just take some of the consequences, you know, with this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, you mentioned 50,000 unvaccinated in public schools. Do we have any uh, statistics or information on how many uh, private schools go unvaccinated or private? Uh, you know, it could be even more than 50,000. Yeah, exactly, and I don't know. No, they, I, they don't keep statistics it, or report them, huh? No, at least the ones I don't have them because they're only, yeah, the numbers I have, I was looking through that, the numbers I have are the public schools. But you're right on the private schools because, you know, New York, where you've had one of the big outbreaks, it's been in some of the tight-knit religious communities where, you know, some of the people are preaching against, you know, vaccinations, yeah. and all these kids end up getting sick. So, yeah, it, it could be worse. Yep. Yeah, it could be worse. Um, yeah, okay. So, no, and, that's, and again, it's, it's a scary sort of thing. By the way, it's also scary for, you know, the, the very old because, you know, there's, 
you know, maybe maybe you're you know, you were maybe in your 60s and you got that vaccine and now the vaccine's kind of worn off. The other reality is that the vaccine doesn't always work. It works for most people. But even if, um, you know, there, there's about I think the numbers were like a three to a five percent you know failure rate. People who are vaccinated still get the measles. That's why this herd mentality is so important. It's why everybody has to get it. And again, if. If for whatever reason, whatever you've seen on the Internet or whatever article you've read or, you know, whoever, you know, you've seen on television has convinced you that these vaccinations are bad, fine. Go with God. It's your kid. But once you start sending your kid to public school and exposing him to other kids, it becomes a different issue. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Crew producing the show today and always. Do you know who Joe Horn is? Uh, no. Okay, Joe Horn was a receiver, played wide receiver, played for New Orleans most of his career, had an 11-year career, like 1996 to 2007. His big years came in uh, for New Orleans, you know, where he was very, very, uh, very successful. He's probably not going on to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he was very, very successful. He's probably best known um he was on Sunday Night Football against the Giants in 2003, and after scoring a second touchdown in his game, he pulled out his cell phone from underneath the goalpost um, and pretended to make a call. That's kind of when his claims to fame. That's Joe Horn. Okay, so that's the deal. Okay, he's as we start the NFL season, he's given this interview, and, and he's one of the guys who um, filed a lawsuit alleging against the league um, a number of years ago, alleging that the league failed to properly treat head injuries. So he's one of those folks. He, he gives an interview earlier this week that says he believes that the NFL should switch from tackle football and it should be touch or flag football. And he also believes that the popularity would not go down. He said, you know, here, here, here's the thing, you know, people, if we played tag football or, or we played two-handed touch or we played flag football, he says, I think the fans would still pay to see it. All right. What do you think? So tag by, like, throwing each other's bodies into each other. Yeah, That's or, how you tag each other. Right, or, or flag football, you know? I mean, just kind of like flag. I, I'm I'm. I'm sorry. Now, I understand football is a violent game, and I get the fact that there's legitimate safety concerns and things like that. I'm, I have a difficult time picturing 70-some thousand people, you know, at Lambeau Field on any given Sunday cheering, touch him, touch him. Is it two-handed touch? Is it one-handed touch? Pull the flag. I, I mean, I, I just I don't see people, you know, spending $80 or $125 or $200 for a ticket to watch flag football. I, I just don't see it. The thought of it makes me laugh. The thought of it, the thought of it, made me laugh as well. And I understand there's a risk, and I'm all in favor of, of safety. But okay, all right. Now I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. Um, we do this, or I do this every year. I'm going to drag you into it too, Mr. Producer. All right, you got a prediction on how the Packers are going to do this year? There are 16 games. How many do they win? Uh, I'd say 11. You're going to say 11. So they make the playoffs. You're going to predict they make the playoffs. Well, yes. Yeah, yes. I, be- okay, I believe we'll that they're going to make the playoffs. Okay. I think we're going to be reliant or more on the run game this year okay. than in so the past. Okay, so you're predicting an 11-5 and record. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll mark the tape. I I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. I, I don't. Keep in mind, I'm the guy who bet the Brewers on the over, and they still need 87 wins, which means they've got, not that I'm paying attention, but it means they've got to go 16-8. and eight. Eh? You know, and and they got to win some games. If they could win three out of four from the Cubs this weekend, 
I think it's a doable sort of thing. Don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to be uphill, but they've got a lot of teams they can beat coming up. They've got to go. They got to win sixteen games for me to cash that bet in Las Vegas. And I, you know, okay, it's all about me, but it's also about the Brewers. They win eighty-seven games. I think they make the playoffs. The Packers. See, it's tougher, and I hope I'm wrong here, but I, I'm just governed by the fact that statistically, first-year coaches almost never make the playoffs with their teams, and I think I think they're going to be a better team at the end of the year than they are at the beginning of the year, but um, I'm picking 8-8, eight and eight. And, I, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong, because uh, normally when it comes to sports teams, I'm the, the glasses-half-full guy. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I am pleasantly surprised. I'm going to be rooting hard, but I'm going to say 8-8, eight and eight, and I think the game tomorrow night is going to be difficult. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news. And by the way, I, I'm hoping they're 11-5. and five. Heck, I'm hoping they're 13-3. and three. I'm just trying to use my head, not my heart. Hope my head is wrong.